Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of Mastering Dungeons. I am Sean Merwin here with Teos Abadia to talk with you about everything good and just with D&D in the world. Hey, Teos, how's it going? It's going great in D&D land. Yes, in D&D land, everything I, is wonderful. I love escaping to a fantasy realm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let's do that together, everybody. Yeah, we are going to forego any uh, other discussion, and we are going to get right into the D&D this week. And we're going to start by talking about where D&D is going in the Neverwinter MMO, because sometimes where, where Neverwinter goes, D&D follows. So you want to tell us about this, Teos? Yeah, so Neverwinter just out of nowhere, completely, I don't think anybody, anybody, anybody had this, you know, had a money on this, which is that the Neverwinter MMO is going to go back to the Feywild, to a realm that was actually their first expansion ever way back in 2013 called Sharandar. Sharandar is tied to Neverwinter, tied to Neverwinter lore. It is the kind of elven kingdom that was sort of sometimes in, in, in parts of it or an, or an echo of it, a form of it is in our plane and in the Neverwinter wood. And part of it is in the Feywild. And it's a fine campaign and everybody can still play it. It's all there and live. And they said, we're relaunching it. And that immediately caused people to go like, why? Hmm. Um, that seems like a really bizarre thing to do. It, it works just fine. Like, why would you relaunch this and reimagine this? And why would this be sort of your big February release? But indeed it is. So it made people think, you know, including me, is this where we're going? Hmm. So we have a link to that information in our show notes. So is that where we're going or are we going to Dragonlands? Because Amazon UK, uh, Amazon being a terrific spoiler for all things D&D, &D, <laughs> put, put up a page announcing a Dragonlance 1 uh, offering with a release date of July 29th, my birthday. Uh, and it's a, for a novel that will be 304 pages and released in paperback. No other description was given for this upcoming novel other than it was written by the original Dragonlance authors, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Uh, and that uh, is up on a link in our show notes at comicbook.com, that information. And there has been some rumblings about Dragonlance for the last few months. There was a lawsuit about, are they going to release a novel or aren't they? You know, all these things. So um, we have some Feywild information. We have some Dragonlance information. So. This is super interesting on a number of levels, but first I have to start with my joke that when I saw Dragonlance, Dragonlance 1, I just assumed that I was going to get a dragon lance, mm -hmm. and it was going to be like an inch size or, you know, right. what is the unit of measurement? But no, it's a novel. Right. Uh, and then that immediately brings up the fascinating question of, is this a re-release of the novel maybe, like updated for today, a re-envisioned Dragonlance world? Is it... I don't know, chapter 4,000, because there are so many yeah. Dragonlance books. Is this some new era? Like, that was that is going to be fascinating to hear what this actually is. Like, where is it taking right. us in Dragonlance? And a lot of this is being thrown about now because there was an announcement. I don't have the link right in front of me that the next D&D &D book would be uh, revealed in the next uh, couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah, there so was a mention of that. And last year, we, of course, saw... Um, that 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 um, I think it was Rain Weininger said that it was that there would be several going back to several two or three I forget the exact number but some various settings of old would be revisited in some manner right and you know does this count or is this novel I mean one would think it's backing this up 
You also have to take into account that a huge Dragonlance fan is Joe Manganiello, and D and D Wizards of the Coast has loved to tie itself to him in various ways. You know, putting his characters in official books, all kinds of things like that. So there's, and he has apparently written a script for a right. Dragonlance movie. Yep. He you know talks to Margaret Weiss all the time, or has at various times talked about talking to her. At one point, somebody said, and I couldn't verify this, but that he sort of said something like, I have in my hand stats for draconians. Right. So there's just so much interesting conjecture yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, but yeah, so where are we going? Which can only tell us that we're going to Spelljammer. Exactly, because Spelljammer confirmed. Confirmed. There we go. And last but not least for our news section, we have uh, Max Mini with kids sharing info on their massive tower and paper craft. Yeah, so they did two different things that they released. One was, um, and, and these were videos that they shared through um, th through uh, YouTube, where they walked through them. One of them is the tower. So this tower is this, it, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's a three level tower that is made of pre-painted plastic. It's enormous. Like if you hold the box, it's almost your size. It's this unbelievably gargantuan thing. And when you build it and put it together, it's this really very large three-story tower. It has cardboard floors, which they've used before on things like their ship. Uh, one side gridded, the other one not. Um, plastic stairs on every level to sort of join the, the levels together. A dome top that's very beautiful, resin sculpted, sculpted exterior, cool features like a ring of sort of praying priests that's the, kind of the decoration on the battlements. Mm. Um, really nice features. It has a high price, as one would <laughs> expect for something like this, 250 bucks. Yeah. Um, one thing that's cool is you can pop out the walls to make it look ruined. Mm. And the hilarious thing is I had not seen all these details until now. And this tower is absolutely perfect down to the holes for something that I turned in at the end of last year as a writing assignment. <laughs> <laughs> so I was talking to the people in charge of the project saying, like, can you, this is like a hundred percent the tower. Like it's too perfect. So right. once that piece is fully released, I'll have to point everybody out to this tower where for 250 bucks, you can truly reproduce it in yeah. 3d. That's funny. And what about the papercraft part of this uh, news? Yeah, they gave out some uh, papercraft early samples. They have two different papercraft buildings. We talked about it very briefly earlier in the show. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of them, one of them is the uh, lodge, which is a single building, uh, 16 bucks because it's made of paper. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is these 10 towns, a set of three buildings that are $30. And I thought, you know, this is just going to be an exterior colored cardboardy paper, glossy, and it is that, but you can actually take off the sides and play inside of the buildings. Wow. And they actually are a very nice size. Like they're, they're big, they sit high up off the table. So they kind of have a commanding, impressive presence when you plop them on your table. Um, and then you can explore inside. They, they, the videos said kind of made them look a little hard to put together. And you can't quite get a feel for the the space aside from the videos that I saw. So I'm excited to get my hands on these. I think for the price, this seems like now that I've seen it, this looks really reasonable. Yeah, it's funny. One of our backers, uh, the old school DM Randy Farmer, makes beautiful paper craft. And we actually interviewed him on the show. Yeah. It must have been two or three years ago. You know, and talked all about paper craft and how easy it would be to to sell it. You know, have some of these big 
big companies that deal with minis and, and terrain put together yeah. something and sell and how useful it would be. And now a couple of years later, we're starting to see it come out. So it'll be interesting to see how it's received by the fans um, who use such things yeah. for quality, for usability and so on. Yeah, Randy Farmer's work is amazing. There's also a cardboard GM on Twitter that makes things out of just plain cardboard. It looks really mm. awesome. Wow. Um, and there are some companies that sell them, but they're not as high quality as what WizKids is sort of bringing that I've seen. Right. Or then they're a print your own, of course. But yeah. so yeah, this is really neat. We'll see what it does uh, industry-wise. Yep. So now we are going to get into our Tasha's Cauldron of Everything review segment, where we are going to talk about the Druid. We covered uh, the Cleric last week. Now it's time to bring the nature and see what is in store for the Druid in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. So first, let's talk about the optional features that are provided for the Druid. The first are uh, additional spells. And as we often say, yep, you, there sure are more spells you can take. Yeah. And and that's that's fine. Uh, if there's a problem with a spell, it should fix the spell, not who has access to it. So <laughs> there's yeah, usually the, the biggest pick here is that Cone of Cold is, is a hard-hitting spell for its level. True. And so that's on the list, you know. But otherwise, everything seems pretty. There's a lot of sort of fiery stuff and, and mm -hmm. some summoning and, you know. Right. Things that druids do, elemental summoning sorts yep. of things. And uh, the Wild Companion is the next optional feature. This is the big one to talk about because it allows you to use one of your Wild Shape abilities. And instead of Wild Shaping, you cast a Find Familiar spell with a time limit of one hour per every two levels. And it's there's a few subtle changes, well, like the time limit, uh, the fact that it's considered a fey creature. And otherwise, it's pretty much just exactly like the Find Familiar spell with a limited uh, duration. And I think this is great. I think this uh, is exactly how rules should work. Take an existing rule, use it to fit the theme that you're going for. It fits the Druid theme very nicely, this sort of summoning nature spirits. Um, it's not overpowered and uh, all together flavor, fun and theme and uh, balanced. I love it. Yeah, this is super cool. Um, this is maybe the first of these optional new features that I say, this could have been core. Mm -hmm. Like if I and, and I think it's so new friend, new player friendly, like it's exactly what a player when they envision being a, a druid, right? Like, well, can't I just like have a bird come to me or, a, you know, any kind of creature? Like, yes, yes, you can. Here's how. Right? Yes, you can. Great. This is exactly Love what it. you do. And this is how you do it. And boom, it's done. Uh, and the final optional feature, which you get at fourth level is cantrip versatility, which is the same as all the other spellcasting uh classes where once you come to a point where you can raise your uh, ability score you can also switch out a cantrip for another cantrip so with that we will check out the first subclass which is called the circle of spores originally found in the dungeon master's guide to ravnica this subclass talks about beauty and decay where mold and other fungi transform lifeless material into abundant albeit somewhat strange new forms of life life and death are part of a cycle with one leading to the other and back again death isn't the end of life but instead a change of state that sees life shift into a new form this is well, perfect because you're such a fun guy so yes yes it's nothing like <laughs> death and fun guys <laughs> 
So yeah, the, this is a, the Guildmaster's Guide yeah. to Ravnica. This was a perfect fit because you have the Golgari Swarm mm -hmm. green deck kind of side that uh, yeah. that that is all about the sort of decay and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I I love the concept, and I think when this was first released back then, a lot of people were like, "Oh, this looks just incredible," and right. I do love the theme of this. Yeah, I mean the theme is very very strong, and you know it takes the druid and does something that a lot of people were doing without needing the subclass is is sort of saying well druids are nature there is some decay in nature so let me make a decay druid and they would i'm talking all the way back to like first edition sure. you know they would find a way to make a druid themed in this way and now through the beauty of all of the rules incarnations up until fifth edition and including fifth edition we now have ways to do it right within the rules so at second level, you get your circle spells and my, you know, my mind's always a shoulder shrug with you. Okay. Yep. Have some more spells, but you want to say a little bit about this Taos. Yeah. Just, you know, chill touch is always a strong cantrip. Uh, it has a very, you know, 120 foot range, which is great. And it does D eight damage and necrotic, which is usually pretty good. Um, Animate Dead's on this list, and I recently was having a conversation with a DM who was sort of saying, you know, Animate Dead can be such a pain at my table. You know, what do you do about it? How do you control it? And I think any kind of summoning spell falls into that category where it can be sort of abused. And that in this being on the spell list here, it can stack with the features and become yep. a bit of a problem. So it's something for both players and DMs to keep an eye out on. For sure. So at second level, you also get your first real ability for the Circle of Spores, which is called Halo of Spores. So when a creature you can see moves into a space within 10 feet of you or starts its turn there, you can use your reaction to, to deal 1d4 necrotic damage to that creature unless it succeeds on a constitution saving throw. Um, the necrotic damage that this does increases to a d6 at 6th, a d8 at 10th, and then a d10 at 14th. And it's it pushes the boundaries for me of something that could be too much uh but i think it, it's okay um yeah i think it's okay yeah. it's a bit on the edge of being is this worth the time we're taking right and yep. that it's my reaction so i can only do it once but when something comes close to me it hits my halo and i maybe deal you know d6 d4 damage to it or maybe nothing right. and just is it worth that time or should the feature have been something that i can for sure do and do fewer times and still represents this. I, you know, I don't know. It, it's, yeah. I'm okay. I, like you said, I am also okay with this, but it's, it's on that edge. Yeah. It certainly conveys the theme. And I like that about it. Yeah. It conveys the theme. Well, because one thing to keep in mind too, is that this halo is always there. It's not something that you need to summon. This halo is always around you. The reaction is just to cause it to do damage. And it took me a minute to wrap my mind around that, um, especially when we get into the future abilities that mm -hmm. rely on this. So that's something thematically it works, right? There's death yeah. all around us. Super uh, cool. And, and uh, I like that. So at level spores. That's yes. <laughs> at level two, you also get symbiotic entity, where as an action, you can expend a use of your wild shape to awaken the spores around you rather than transforming into beast form. When you do this, you gain four temporary hit points for each level you have in your druid class. Um, and while this feature is active, you uh, gain the following benefits. 
uh, when you deal the damage from Halo of Spores, you can roll the damage die a second time and add it. So basically roll 2d4 or 2d6 uh, when you do the damage. Um, your melee weapon attack deals an extra 1d6 necrotic damage to any target um, that you hit. And the benefits last for 10 minutes until you lose all your temporary hit points that you gain by this ability or until you use, use your wild shape again. So this just sort of um, it, it lets you embolden this uh, circle of spores around you to do some more things with it. And tactically, this is fairly huge in that and you know, if you think of wild shape, the way players will often use it is as a sort of hit point machine, right? Yep. Transform into form, attack. The attacks are usually pretty good, um, but you get a whole bunch of hit points, bad armor class. And when you finally die, you don't care about those hit points you lost unless there's any spillover. And so you're totally fine and you just can do it again and again. Here, yep. four temporary hit points for each level, that is a big boost. Like mm -hmm. fifth level, 20 extra hit points. Yeah. It's, it's a lot like having wild shape form. And then you get these other benefits of boost to your damage. Mm -hmm. And though I'm generally not a big fan of adding damage to what I think of as spell casting classes. Um, you know, we see this in the cleric where it's sort of like, ooh, another D6 with your mace. And it's like, well, I never use my mace, you know? Right, right. But here, the druid has always had these spells like shillelagh and, you know, some sort of fire scimitar thing. And, right. and so it, it actually can actually stack up a fair bit to where it is a pretty strong attack. And so it's a nice alternative to the kind of beast wild shape that we see yeah. so often. The, the one thing that's a little unclear and that adds a little bit too much complication is that second bullet about your melee weapon attacks deal an extra D6 necrotic damage to any target they hit. As soon as you start throwing around um, pronouns, you have to sometimes clarify. So at first I thought, that, who was they? And and um, I, the I weapons the, person. the yeah the weapon attacks, but it, I thought it, it meant the you're... spores, right? Uh, so oh, so yeah. I, at first I thought it was the spores. If the spores yeah. do damage, then you do an extra d six. If you hit that, and I'm like, but that doesn't make any sense because then you'd have to track who's been hit by your spores, and yeah. and so it just should just say your melee weapon attacks deal an extra d six to crack damage to any weapons, uh, to any target hit by your attacks or something yeah uh just one thing that's the other thing, yeah that's really interesting that's for sure um i'm also struck by that the benefit of all of this all of this kind of package that you get a second level lasts 10 minutes huge long time mm -hmm. or until you lose those temporary hit points or until you use wild shape again losing your temporary hit points could be they might last all day mm -hmm. or they might be gone the next round right and yeah. that's fascinating, right? So you really have low control over how long this lasts. And, and I like that. I, I, I think that's a yeah. benefit, not, not a drawback of that, uh, for sure. At level six, you get fungal infestation. If a beast or humanoid that is small or medium dies within 10 feet of you, you can use your reaction to animate it, causing it to stand up immediately with one hit point. It uses the zombie stat block in the monster manual. Uh, it remains animate for one hour, after which it collapses and dies. Uh, and then it all the same writers kind of come with the things we've already seen about having something, uh, a companion or or some assistant, where you can tell it what to do with mental commands. Um, if you don't, it will 
only take the dodge action. Yeah, here, attack. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, attack action. And then, so, and you can use this number of, feature a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier, and you regain all expended uses after a long rest. Well, if your wisdom modifier is four, that could be four zombies walking around with you for an hour, plus cast animate dead, plus have a familiar, plus, right. you know, this is, this is where it gets, it can get a little bit much. Yeah. It can get and a little bit much at low levels, not to mention high levels. Yep. Um, I, one thing is I wish it didn't remain for an hour. Uh, I think I wish this was sort of in the combat yep. versus a create an army that follows you around. If yeah. it was, you know, for a few rounds or something like that, I think that would actually work way better. And it would be more fun if, if you know, if it, like if it was something more like old school D and D where it's like, you know, lasts two D four rounds or something like that. Like, I think that would be a lot more fun yeah. um, for DMS especially, but just even for the party, rooms and we saw this in rhyme right rhyme has these very small rooms that we talked about um when you throw in a few summon monsters just spaces get clogged and, and yeah. the game bogs down in so many ways yeah and there's other points of friction too in games that i always as a designer try to eliminate and that point of friction is that last 10 minutes last 20 minutes last an hour because then it becomes well how long did this take well, did you search the bodies? Well, yeah, we searched the bodies after the last combat, but that only took a minute, right? Well, no, it, <laughs> it took it took 20 minutes. Well, why did it take 20 minutes? Uh, right. And yeah. and that's that's just another point of friction that can slow a game down and cause hard feelings and and take you out of this sort of storytelling. That's why I either want something to be. I don't want it to be a, a set duration unless it's very short, like a minute. I want it yeah. to be until a short rest, until a long rest, until something that you can't be argued about. You know for sure that that's when it ends. Yeah. At level 10, you get spreading spores. As a bonus action, while your symbiotic entity feature is active, you can hurl spores up to 30 feet away where they swirl in a 10-foot cube for one minute. The spores disappear early if you use this feature again, if you dismiss them as a bonus action, or if your symbiotic entity feature is no longer active. Now we've crossed over into, <laughs> yes, this is very cool, but there's too many numbers and too many times being thrown around. Yeah. My daughter is practicing to take the ACT. Okay. And this could honestly be like a quiz there. It could. If a druid starting <laughs> uh, 60 feet away from you hurls spores. Right. You know. Right. So now the spores are not just around you in a in a you know circle, but now you can throw them away and cause. But you're not really throwing them away because they're still around you, but they're also in this ten foot cube up to thirty feet away. Now your your the your symbiotic entity lasts for a certain amount of time, but this spreading spores also lasts a certain amount of time that you need to keep track of. Okay. Now when does it go away? Well. All right, so when does symbiotic entity go away? Well, we have to go back and refer to that to figure out when this might go away. Uh, it, it becomes a little too much. Thematically cool, fun, I would say so, but yeah. you know, complex, a little much. Yeah, and on the fun side, one problem that I have is features that um, have a low chance of being pulled off the way you want. Right. And mm -hmm. so if I am trying to like protect the hallway, this is amazing. Right. I yeah. get to put this thing in there and anything that goes through, 
uh, is going to take my halo of spores damage. And if I stand in front of them, they must sit there soaking it up. That becomes a just death zone, super effective. But if I'm in the middle of, you know, the temple that we're trying to stop the ritual in, and I just choose a 10 foot area and I plunk down this cube, why would any monster go through it? Right. But I'm going to want monsters to go through it. And my DM sort of feels like they have to, you know, be happy, make you happy or, or, or that they're being mean if nobody falls for it. But it's this weird gas cube. Why would you ever enter it? Right. Like, right. And so then it's zero effective. Right. Um, yeah. And it, so yeah. I, I prefer that this I would have preferred had this been a bit more like um, the essentials design for the Hunter Ranger in 4E, which had these sort of snares you could put in that you just designate a square when something steps in it, it goes off. And that is more likely to happen because they can't see it. Yep. Um, 5e has something like that too. You know, just a little more where it would have just given you some amount of tactic and payoff and then go away versus having to be, I don't know, tracked in this right. way. Yeah, and I can understand the the thought behind it, right? The thought behind it is, well, sure. what if this player wants to play a druid that stands back and doesn't get up into combat? Well, then their spores are going to be less powerful so we need to give them a range on it um and and that makes sense because they actually throw the rider in while this cube of spores the spreading spores cube persists you can't use your halo of spores reaction so now you're taking something away that again you have to remember that if something rushes you you can't say okay mm -hmm. oh i do that oh wait that's up uh you know it's just one more thing to keep track of and at level 14, you get fungal body. It sounds, uh, it sounds like <laughs> college all over again. Uh, <laughs> you can't be blinded, deaf, and frightened, or poisoned, and any critical hit against you counts as a normal hit unless you are incapacitated. So you, you're basically turning into a giant mushroom. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, one of the things I love about this is the fact that it is a uh, very simple thing. Mm. <laughs> so yes. After all that complexity, right. very good call on the designers to make the level 14 just be a bunch of uh, immunities kind of things to conditions. Yeah. That's great. Mm. Um, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's yeah. strong, and it's neat, and it does communicate that. Yeah. And one of the things I can think of when you're making a subclass, if you look at the chapter headers, you know, the power names, and they really kick butt on the theme, you're doing well, right? And this is, yeah. you know, halo of spores, symbiotic entity, fungal, fungal infestation, spreading spores and fungal body. Yeah, good job. Like, yep, yeah, pretty good. I, I agree. Next week, we will look at the last two subclasses, the circle of stars and the circle of wildfire. But now we are going to get into the freezing cold of Icewind Dale. We've actually zipped through chapter three and four, one per week for the last two weeks. And now we are going to try to do the same with chapter five called Destruction's Light. Uh, you want to give us a recap of chapter four, Teos? Yeah. So chapter four was all about uh, the dragon devastating the 10 towns. Um, we're told that we can take the time we need to finish up any plot threads we have, and we should reach level seven. At which point, uh, Veline, who is this member of the Arcane Brotherhood, comes to us and gives us her quest. Mm -hmm. um, and we talked about this last time, and it's worth saying again that I think it is very important story-wise to give the characters things to do in the devastated towns, to have some stake in the game, to feel like they're tied to the fate of 10 towns, like it all matters. Mm -hmm. 
be part of those rebuilding efforts, right? Show the damage that took place due to the Dwergar. Um, but when you reach seventh and all these conditions are met, Veline shows up. Mm -hmm. And she, one of the things that's very interesting is we're, we're giving a lot of information of what she knows. And most of it says that she's reluctant to share this. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not super a fan of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it's always hard that, you know, the DM wants to share these things because they're cool, juicy tidbits. Um, but okay. And, and so the main thing is she wants help reaching Yithrin, the lost flying city of the empire of Netheril. Um, depending on how things have gone, the players have probably heard some word that this thing is out there. She, uh, or the Arcane Brotherhood used divination magic and learned its location under the Ragged Glacier. And it is behind, sort of the easiest way to get to it would be a, a former waterfall that has frozen solid. And if one could get through it, one could then reach the other side in the city. Mm -hmm. The city is worth finding for the Arcane Brotherhood because it is flies, the, the way it flies is through an incredibly powerful piece, uh, artifact that is known as a Mithalar. And this is the kind of thing that powers Myth Draenor and other famous Forgotten Realms cities. Um, and it, it, one little tidbit thrown in is it could perhaps allow you to control the weather. Mm -hmm. um, and before they set out to this place, Veline wants to find two things. One is the Codicil of White. This is sort of the must find. It's a book written by Oral's followers. There's some nice lore touch here because it used it came from uh, Dragon Magazine and um, kind of old artifact that was written up in it is a spell that can carve a passage to the city mm -hmm. and Belene says this book is held in the frost giant fortress named grimscale in the sea of moving ice um it again being sort of vague the book tells us that Belene knows that this draw will draw Aurel's attention and that it's actually Aurel's current home yep which is quite the omission yeah um and then there's this professor orb yeah, the the professor orb is is from it's an orb that was uh, possessed by uh, one of the other members of their Cain Brotherhood, and it has basically knowledge within it that is needed to find and traverse the lost city. So, uh, both of these things are necessary steps in your sort of goal now maybe <laughs> to to find this lost city but what really what is your goal <laughs> yeah that is the the hardest part here that i think that could have used some rework some development um you know kind of after everything's turned in and you look at the project and you go okay what's going on here because you know why would i want to help a necromancer arcane brotherhood member find this city like the last thing i want is the arcane brotherhood like a convincing plot to me is stop the arcane brotherhood from reaching the netherese lost city and getting their hands on it mm -hmm. right that is a convincing adventure plot right. and yet i'm supposed to help her and there isn't a lot to say that there's anything in it for me mm -hmm. except this maybe the mythalar could be used to control the weather eh. yeah and that's only if you can a find it, b survive the arcane brotherhood trying to kill you for right. it. Uh, but the interesting thing is that the characters can, even though they might not be fully aware of it, stop the curse 
by going to <laughs> this island and this uh, giant fortress. So that might be where you want to put the focus as the DM, because that yeah. gives them a compelling reason to go. And you know, in that sense, the Arcane Brotherhood member, uh, Velen, can you know be an asset rather than a rather than a super suspicious character well or even you lead into that but she's got you because she knows where this codicil is and but but right. you have aligned interests right like if i think sometimes it's fun to think of something like how would chris perkins run this right if i'm imagining like a live play where right. uh, he's playing valine or jeremy crawford is running valine and you know it would be this sort of obvious like yeah i know you don't like me you don't like how I, i'm a necromancer who animates kobolds but you know what i do know i know how to stop the rhyme right you know exactly. here's why we should and, and see so you, you know you the players just want to take her out but they right. gotta go with it for now that could have worked better and i, I find there's just yeah a, a, the other thing is the players don't have to actually go with her but it right. doesn't say so in chapter four or early on in chapter five it, then later in chapter five begins to say if they're with Veline, if they're not yeah but it's sort of not mentioned early enough and so that's another important thing is if they don't like her mm -hmm. they have the knowledge they need hey find this city uh right. and they can go off or you know find this uh, former fortress and they can go off and find that on their own yeah. um interestingly the thing it does not say is what Valene does about it if they are going off without them apparently in chapter five she doesn't do anything she just lets them have at it mm -hmm. yeah so you'll have to keep that in mind as a dm about how you want to play it what your players would respond to you know what what form of uh, push they might need to get them to go there assuming that you want them to go there at this point and probably if they are seventh level, it is time for, for them to go there. So, yeah. One last thing I would say is, um, that there is, um, Kyra Dineval, the 10 town has the quest in it where you can go into the Kyra. And one of the things you can meet there is another arcane brotherhood member named Avarice, mm -hmm. albino tiefling. And we talked about her when we reviewed this section where she will not actually fight the characters she's fairly powerful at that time but she's watching them all this time mm -hmm. through these gargoyles that she has and so another option is if you still want them to have somebody to guide them avarice could show up trying to act like the better of two evils right and that's another possibility yeah so let's talk about the actual chapter so you want to be the character should be seventh level um, when they do go to, to there, uh, there are different milestones they can hit to gain another level. Um, they can first kill the rock that the, uh, that Oriel uses to, I was going to say avatar of Oriel, but she's not an avatar. It's actually Oriel. Mm -hmm. Um, that Aurel uses to fly over Icewind Dale to renew this curse every evening or every morning. And which is strange, but well, for, it's not strange that you gain a level because that's a milestone because if you kill the rock, the adventure says, Oh, curse is over. She can't do anything about, about it now. And, and I just, I did a double take and I, I actually read that passage about four times and said, did yeah. I miss something? Uh, 
this this although she's mortal she still is a god she can't just fly herself over and and cast the spell or, or any other find a griffin mount. right yeah. exactly it it's bizarre and i don't know why players you know it's one thing to assume it at the character at the story level but then the, to not think that players are gonna go well i don't care if i killed her mount she'll just get another she can sequester yeah. a griffin from the goliaths like any right. number of flying creatures exist why yeah it's it, it this is one of the strangest parts of this adventure i think is that idea that to stop the rhyme all you must do if you don't kill her is def is removing her mount uh it's very strange yeah so you would also get a level if you defeat Aurel herself. And there was one other, I sort of lost it. If you're notes. lower than level seven yep. and you find the codicil and the poem about the rhyme, you gain yep. a level for that, which is seems very bizarre because you're not supposed to be lower than seven, but. Right, there you go. Or maybe so, it's even if you are exactly seven. So you could yep. get one to three levels here, depending how things go, but probably two. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there are so there's some other weird things about this because when the characters go there, they may be going there for a variety of reasons at a variety of levels. You know, they could be going as low as say third level with the help of um, the awakened sperm whale that they can make friends with as part of the quests from other towns. Uh, and so you you want to know what they're what they're going for. Uh, if they go too soon and you don't want them to sort of ruin the surprise or get slaughtered too quickly. We, what you can do is you can let them explore the island, but as soon as some of the threats from the island are unleashed on them, like the seven yetis or the abom abominable yeti, uh, you can let them explore, get the lay of the land, but then drive them away. And hopefully they will understand, oh, we'll come back later for this. It's possible that they're coming to investigate the island, but have no idea about the codicil or the professor orb. Um, and in that case, they if they go through it, they will probably find it anyway. Uh, but that's it may not it may be the last thing on their mind. And to turn that on its head, they may be there just for the codicil and the orb and not even realize that they could defeat oral here. So you could be going in with a lot of different goals and a lot of different avenues uh, for running the game, creating the story. So it's important to keep that in mind and maybe just adjust things slightly um, depending on what the characters are actually going to do. Yeah, and it's maybe worth talking about how you can get here before we talk about Oriel herself. Um, mm -hmm. You can hitch a ride from the awakened sperm whale Angajuk. Um, and this is all this chapter. So there's a, a section here on how to get there. And it covers three possibilities, right? Hitching mm -hmm. a ride on the awakened sperm whale, booking passage at Revel's End, which is the prison from the Lord's Alliance uh, on a ship called the Ravenous. Or you can borrow griffins from the Goliaths of Sky Tower Shelter. Mm -hmm. um, I really love that these are actually all fairly well supported, like they have cool yeah. story ends, like, you know, the prison ship is interesting. And um, so they, they give you some good support here. The thinnest one is probably borrowing Griffins, because it just sort of assumes that you've either brokered peace or what I find very bizarre is a Goliath has to speak to the chieftain on your behalf mm -hmm. 
and that Goliath rolls a persuasion check against a particular DC and like having an NPC roll for you seems really yeah weird so I would just have it be your check right. but yeah but um but at least you get some good support on the different ways the griffin is also you noted something strange about the griffins yeah as if you take the fly in with the griffins the the adventure says that the rock uh that Aureal uses to spread her curse comes out to fight you and if that happens and you for some reason you know the characters could easily defeat the rock then the the curse is done and <laughs> now the characters may not know that right but you won you just don't even know it you don't even know you won uh so i think i think teos would agree that get rid of that hole if you defeat the rock the curse is done thing uh i think yeah. you know make them or even make it interesting you know the next day the sun comes up and everyone cheers but then the next night it goes back away and and Oriel has is seen, you know, riding a dragon. Yeah. I mean, uh, so we're gonna have to get into that because the, the thing is, I think that, you know, this gets back to the premise and, and and expectations is your characters want to end the rhyme. It is literally the name of the book. It's what they've been thirsting for all this time. Yep. And they're probably not gonna buy into the premise that killing the rock ends these things. I don't buy into the premise. No. <laughs> I'm reading the book. Um so they're going to want to think that you have to kill Aureal. Mm -hmm. And the thing about that is, and maybe this is where we, we talk about facing her, is that that's hard. Um, this is one case where you're looking at the stat blocks, you go, well, that's not that hard. But then you realize, well, there are three stat blocks. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and so before we get into the, her, she, it is hard. Um, it is a hard fight, a medium fight, and a medium fight back to back. But she has the tactics that if you play it well, will draw this out much further and give her greater advantages, such as she'll almost act like multiple monsters each time. Mm -hmm. And she can even bring her rock into it. Right. And all of that means that this can be an unwinnable fight. And I think a DM that's run a lot of additions, has run a lot of boss fights, has some good expertise in this, knows how to handle their player's tactics. Um, I'm pretty sure I could run this, for example, so that the players cannot win mm -hmm. if they're seventh or eighth level. Right. I'll yeah. I'll just be too she, you know, I will play her deity side too well and weaken them too much. And and unless they get super lucky with three forms, uh, they won't do it. Right. And so then the question is, if they're not gonna defeat her, then what? Right? Mm -hmm. What I would actually say is transfer the ability of the rhyme from dependent upon the rock to being dependent upon the codicil mm -hmm. because then we have a reason why this codicil has an entire level of a dungeon <laughs> to secure it right right yeah it's true it's true because so, I, I think and then you have something that players can go after and if you tell them that and there are a number of talking opportunities in this dungeon then they have a reason to go well we don't actually have to fight her or if they got their butts kicked by her they can say you know we don't have to fight her what else can we do oh this is what else we could do right and take the codicil which we need anyway mm -hmm. and, and the professor orb comes in handy here because it it, it acts it can act as your voice UDM. It can act as your voice in telling the characters exactly what they did, what exactly they need to do, what exactly they failed to do, and uh, make it seem a little more reasonable uh, to, yeah. to fit the story you're telling. 
I love things like the Professor Orb that allow you to have a DM voice that feels like an NPC, mm -hmm. but it allows you to guide them one way or the other. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Especially in an adventure where there could be some confusion. Yeah. Right. It's not go right, go left. It's big plot points that you might need to to reveal. So yeah. uh, if you once you get there, you arrive at the island, which is called the Island of Solstice. Uh, the island has been taken over by Oriel and provides uh, some danger and some interesting NPCs in its own right, not even talking about um, the castle. So the island is made of mostly ice and snow and it's shaped like a giant snowflake. At the end of each of the snowflake arms, there are docks that pose a threat to any ship trying to use them. And you may be coming in uh, on a pirate ship or sorry, a privateer ship, if you mm -hmm. use the ravenous as your means to get there. So uh, while you're on the island, a few things, a few things change. The save DC to resist the effects of extreme cold is 15 instead of 10, since Oriel lives there. Um, if whenever a creature that lacks resistance or immunity to cold spends a hit die um, within one mile of the island, it only gets its constitution modifier instead of being able to roll the die. So basically all die rolls are zero. Right. And you, and you only add your constitution modifier to get hit points back. And it has to be positive. The minimum is actually zero. So that's actually a pretty big deal. Um, yeah. Especially if you end up in a protracted Oriel fight. Yeah. The other thing to note here is I had to look this up. Cold weather gear that, you know, doesn't that grant resistance to immunity cold? Well, no, it actually qualifies as if you had it, but it doesn't grant it. So mm -hmm. it, you still are subject to this, even though you're wearing cold weather gear for once. Which, which is good. Thank you for pointing yeah. that out. And they're also, uh, the island is surrounded by fog out to a distance of 200 feet from the island. So until you're right into the island, uh, you, you really can't see what's going on. And that can hide, say, a rock flying toward you. Yeah. Uh, once you oh, go guidance, just going to say the adventure guidance is basically to go to this one particular uh, giant sized dock and climb your way up it. So yep. sort of whichever way they approach, you're kind of, you know, you end up ending at the same <laughs> side of the island, which is great. I have no problem with that. Yep. And speaking of a voice of the DM, once they arrive at the dock or once they arrive on the island somewhere, an ice method named Sapo offers help uh, in the form of guidance. And help is in quotation marks because basically it's there to show the characters all the cool things on the island and then have the island kill them. And it wants to watch. <laughs> uh, it doesn't speak common. It only speaks Aquin and Orin. But why put this on there unless you're going to allow it to be used? So yeah. let, let Seipo uh, do its thing. Yeah, let, them, let it speak common because that's just too much fun to have the right. torture going on. Right. So then uh, for all these other areas on the island that we're talking about, Sapo can can take them to and say, oh, look at the shipwrecks. Look at, we've oh, there's a dead body here. Oh, look at these statues. Look at this garden. Uh, so let's talk about each. The shipwrecks. Around each of the docks, there's a shipwreck that can be investigated if the characters are willing to go underwater in this frigid area. And there's a table that has different things they might see in the shipwreck from monsters to treasure to just some cool looking things. Uh, did you want to say anything about the shipwrecks or do you? No, no, I think that's okay. fine. I mean, it's, it's lean design, but uh, yep. there's a lot here. So that, it makes sense. 
Cool. Uh, the next area is Nas Lantamir's ghost. So last Nas Lantamir is was a diviner sent by the Arcane Brotherhood to search for these treasures. She's the one who brings the Professor Orb with her. Yeah, she stole uh, it from Berlin. Exactly. Um, uh, Nas died after uh, her ship wrecked and she swam to shore. Now her ghost, though, so her body is frozen and her hand is just sticking up out of the, the <laughs> snow. Uh, but her familiar, a weasel, has sort of bonded with her ghost. So he has remained alive. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting about this is, is I, I love the setup. And the first person to touch the orb, the ghost is going to try to possess them, mm -hmm. um, which will then try to argue against Valene um hates valine and wants you to regain things but the ghost is actually going to die if you regain the codicil because then its goal is fulfilled but it doesn't act that way it just it just wants the codicil yeah um regardless of being you know then finally let to die uh the the weasel will then at that point die too but i, I think this is a neat story angle it, it's a nice way to counter valine and if you don't have valine then this becomes your dual guides the ghost possessing you and the orb, Professor Orb, mm -hmm. become your DM voice and your guides towards understanding what possibilities they have here in this place. So I, I, it, it isn't necessarily an easy spot to find. So I would either route the characters this way or move this to be along their path, because I would not want to skip this in a run of this adventure. True. Uh, and there are also an area with ice statues, which Auril creates in her free time. Uh, and they're other, I mean, they're very nice ice statues. If the characters break them, then Aurel tries to curse them. And if she curses them, they become vulnerable to cold uh, while they're on the island. And she also summons the abominable Yeti to track them down and kill them. So vulnerability to cold will be a huge, huge deal mm -hmm. uh, for any characters facing Aurel later. She yes. does a lot of cold damage and in a lot of ways kind of constantly. And it's often sort of small ticks of damage. But when you double small damage, it becomes mm -hmm. big damage very quickly. Yeah. And especially sustaining over time all that vulnerability will be huge. So if you have a party that loves to smash stuff and is very strong, you should take them to the ice statues so that they, mm -hmm. you know, are kind of brought back down to a controllable level. <laughs> because, yeah. and on the other hand, if, if you're, party is very weak you maybe don't want to push them towards the destruction of ice statues because that might be too much for them yeah and and the uh the text says if you are already or invulnerable or resistant to cold damage then this curse doesn't affect you if your party's strong i would change that if they fail that saving throw to be cursed yeah. take them from immune to vulnerable take them from vulnerable to normal or take yeah. them from normal to uh, to vulnerable, right? Because that's that's something. It, this is the goddess of cold. Yeah. If, if she wants to overcome something, I think she, she should be able it. to. Yeah. yeah. This is her sphere. Uh, she yeah. can control her sphere. So yeah. there are also yeti caves. No big deal. One yeti in each of these seven caves, and they can be summoned to uh, all together to come after the characters. Then there's the Garden of Death, where uh, if a creature dies of exposure to the cold, they're brought here and placed in this garden. And there's an ice troll who broke in for a quick snack. 
on some of the frozen corpses. So uh, he's not too difficult to defeat. And if you eat his heart, um, it, it will give you regeneration. And if you uh, use his heart to create a potion, it be can become a, a potion of cold resistance. Yep. Which is pretty nice for someone who's uh, needs to be buffed up against all that cold damage coming up. Yep. And uh, here's a tip. Just if you're creating something and if you're creating a map and you're labeling it and you like you do like area A2, area B4, area C12, don't use I as the first letter of that designation because it looks like a one. And then you're looking at like area 11. Wait, no, there's no area 11. Area 13, yeah. what? Oh, it's I3. When you're looking at it, especially if you don't have good eyesight like I, uh, don't. It looks like area 13 and you're scrounging around. In the, <laughs> why, the, why is it starting at 11? Where, where I missed one through 10. Oh, wait, no, that's an I. It's a good tip. I got to remember that. Yeah. All right. So finally, we get to the castle itself called Grimskull. Grayscale, which, right? Grayskull? Grayskull, yes. By the power of Grimskull. Yeah. There, which, there is this great piece of art. Oh, when you the look art at it, you wonderful. realize it really is Castle Grayskull. Yep, the, the art is amazing. It does look like a big skull sitting on top of this mound of ice. And uh, I, I love the maps here. I think all of yeah. the the snowflake themes uh, are perfect. Uh, Grimskull was a, a castle constructed for a frost queen giant named Vasa Viken. And it's filled with remnants of her reign, including her corpse. Uh, Aro claimed it as her own. Now, so when you're going through, remember that this is a fortress built for giant-sized creatures. So when you give descriptions, reinforce that. The stairs are all huge, and it, you know it's it's a uh, difficult terrain to climb it because it's it's awkward. There are no lights inside. Everything inside uses dark vision, which we kind of talked about last time. Yeah. Um, just to open a door is a DC twenty athletics check, strength athletics check. That not locked. Just to open it. <laughs> And there are four levels. There's the entry level. There is the palace level, the battlement level, and the dungeon level. And the entry level is where characters come in. Then it goes up to the palace level and the battlement or down to the dungeon. Yeah. And we will, we're not going to go through every room because there are many that just don't have anything interesting in them or some, some standard things, things that don't really need calling out. Uh, but we'll talk about anything that we think is important. Do you, uh, you want to start? Yeah, absolutely. So the entrance level, uh, there's not a lot here except for an old frost giant guard. Um, he has a bunch of information he can provide and only wants an honorable death. And I love this. This is such cool inclusion. I would really play up his age, make it very obvious how he's just, you know, trying to die honorably so that PCs will want to capture him or knock him out or whatever and interrogate him because it's, he's a neat character that can actually provide them with very important information that you kind of want the PCs to know. Yeah. I found it strange that one of the things that almost every adventure does well, because it's the first thing that you as the designer do is describe the doors. <laughs> yeah. and and there's really there's they show the doors on the map but they don't say you know this portal is big and it has pictures of giants it's, it's just nothing it doesn't describe them at all which i thought was it's not bad it's just weird it's just different yeah, just the front door yeah. yeah 
So uh, the rest of the entry level is pretty nondescript. You can go up to the palace level or down to the dungeon from there. So let's go up to the palace level. Uh, there are really two areas in the palace level. One is the throne room. On the ceiling are icicle piercers. Very so cool. I, I thought that was cool. A uh, nice example of, uh, you know, using a creature, but just repurposing it to, to capture the theme, which is great design. And the other uh area is called Aurel's Sanctuary. Now, Aurel might be here. So keep that in mind. And there are yeah, stairs. daytime, she's here. Right. There are stairs ascending then to the battlement level. And and that's a, the important point that we probably didn't mention and should. Aurel essentially is a 50-50 chance she's here. If it's during the day, she's here. If it's at night, she's out re renewing her curse, which she does every night. Uh, so Again, it's probably a choice that you as the DM are going to have to make or ask the characters. Do you want to go during the day or do you want to arrive at night? Yep. And uh, near the area, near where we are here talking about, near her room and throne room, are is an area where you have um, six ice methods. And I mentioned that because that can coincide with some of the powers of Oriel if she mm -hmm. calls to them or goes and gets them and attacks. So it's worth keeping in mind that they're, they, they don't attack you on sight. So the party would probably just leave them there because they don't, they just sort of watch you, but right. then they can come and figure in in round two of the fight. So, mm -hmm. Or act as her eyes, maybe if you want to, you know, go, go that route, they could be spies for her. Though she has a legendary ability or layer action that she can take at any time, which outside of combat is fine, um, to know where every creature that is living is and how healthy they are. So think of her as always knowing when something gets wounded right, and where something is, which is pretty interesting. So she can kind of do that a fair bit. One thing about this throne room upper palace level is it just... Like, I know she's into solitude, but there's sort of nothing going on here. And it's a bit too empty yeah. for my taste. Like, I, I wish there was some touch of her personality here or something like that that would give me something that I could give the players to, right. you know, a little more. Especially because when we look at her stat block, we're given that she does not role play much. So as to sort of act special and distant and divine. Mm -hmm. So there's little to give about her personality here. And, and that's that's another good point that I thought about but didn't write down is at this point, the players have no knowledge of what Oril is. They, they may know it's Oril, but they don't know that she's not a god, a goddess, full goddess at this point. True. So, yeah. you know, if they're going through this place, they could probably think if we run into her, she's just going to crush us unless we appease her or talk to her or, or do something so here is where you want to give those clues that she is semi-mortal now yeah. uh, she can be killed it won't be easy but that she could do it and where where better to do that than the bedroom right the the, the place yeah, where point. the place where she lives she has a bed well why does a goddess need a bed well because she has to sleep because she's mortal i mean <laughs> yeah. yeah you can make up whatever give give those clues that allow the players to know the information they need to know to make choices and i would say that to me things that stand out as personality of hers that i would want to communicate um you know historically after uh, events that took place the gods have taken themselves out of being heavily involved in the forgotten realms 
-hmm. That's a big historic change. And she's basically one of the first goddesses to kind of disobey that edict and to reinsert herself into it but she's given away much of her divinity to pull that off right. and that sacrifice is very much along her teachings right of hardship and perseverance and and cruelty and 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 so there's just some really great aspects that i wish there was an easier way for players to provide but you'll have to improvise on your dms to provide you'll have to improvise how you do that and how you get that across and there could have been something here that would have communicated that really well, which would especially be awesome if they come during the night and she's gone, but to find sort of what she's given up to do this. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, because what, why is she here? She's here because the other gods were, you know, took, took her toys, right. Yeah. The, the, they, uh, the, who forced her to the North. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, Umberly uh, and, and, oh yeah. <laughs> I tried to remember. Yeah. Yeah. To, so yeah, so three evil gods, and they sort of right. took her domain, and Umberly yeah. ruled the sea and didn't like her, and so on. And so yeah. they they kind of pushed her away, and then yeah. So you know that can be expressed in some way, whether you want to just if your players would appreciate you just to tell it in a in book a diary form or or the or professor, the professor could be or, rattling right. off while you're fighting right. even or yeah yep or any of those things searching. that that you know, complete the story for the characters yeah. or like I said, give them the ability, the information they need to tell their own story and make their own choices. Yeah. And either Valine or um, the Nass, the, the ghosts that could be with you, they are cold enough, so to speak, characters, right? They're, they're dark, grim characters that aren't goody two shoes. They could also have an appreciation for what Oriel has done mm -hmm. um, and communicate that in a way that would be quite you know, off-putting to the players to hear like, oh, this is how she thinks, right? This is what yep. she's done. Mm -hmm. So if you go up, yep, you end up at where uh, the battlements and uh, Oriel's rock named Iskra is here. It's worth noting that a rock is, uh, you know, a hard fight for level seven character for five levels and characters. Um, the biggest thing it does is it has 248 hit points and it deals strong damage. It can do it very accurate can reliably deal 50 points of damage to one or two, tar you know, spread it across one or two targets. Um, that's a lot of damage in a round to inflict. So mm -hmm. it, it is a heavy hitter, but it, that's all it does. Um, it, if it's gone or if you've defeated it, you can um, search its nest and there's some kind of fun stuff there, including <laughs> <laughs> uh, what can they find there? Sean, what, a... <laughs> what would be the last thing? How about a silver dragon egg? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't expect that. How how did I don't even want to know. But yeah, hey, and it will catch in 3d10 days. Yeah. And hey, you know what? Oral could ride if uh <laughs> if the uh I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. I mean, it, she would have to use magic to make it grow up faster probably, sure. but there you go. But she's a goddess, so you know. There yeah. Yep. So uh, that's that's kind of hilarious. Yeah. yeah, that that's everything above the dungeon. So the last thirteen rooms uh, from room ten to twenty three are below. Uh, the, the and this is where the codicil is, and and this is where a great deal of the action takes place. Um, the first area that the characters come into is called the ice rink. There is an awakened giant walrus playing here, and it was made to guard the place, but it just sort of wants to play. So if the characters don't just rush in and kill this walrus, awakened walrus, the size of an elephant, uh, 
that they can role play with it instead of fight it. And it can provide them information on what the different areas down here uh, mean. Um, another area is called Vasavikin's tomb. This is the frost giant queen uh, who the castle was dedicated to. Now she's enclosed in a block of ice. If the characters mess around and get to the body within the ice, Thrym, the you know, god of the frost giants, intervenes and springs a trap on them. Yeah, that's pretty mean. But uh, I mean, you got to know that you're not supposed to mess with that. So yeah, you would. Very fitting. Yep. Uh, I, I'm going to let you talk about the, the four tests. So I'm going to do this quickly because they basically, it's sort of a little bit, I find all of this a little, and I'm generally good about um, recover the three pieces of the whatever and put them in together. You know, that this yeah. the bottom level of the dungeon has some sort of puzzle thing and you got to do all these things and collect the bits. But uh, this one actually, it's so big. Yeah. And so prominent that I it didn't make sense story-wise. Like if the codicil was a bigger deal to Aurel, uh, had a bigger theme with the rhyme, it would make sense. And that's why it made me think of like, well, if this was what empowers the rhyme, mm -hmm. it would make more sense to have so much to it. But basically you have to go to four different areas. When you open these doors, you're transported to one of the Regged tribes. And I wish there had been more seeds with that earlier. Mm -hmm. And I would kind of say, if you haven't started running it, this is a thing to put in there. To have the ragged tribe say, you know, Oriel comes to us, she sends us people. Because apparently this is like a test that the Frost Maiden gives people periodically, uh, including her druids. And when you go through one of these, you end up at a particular ragged barbarian tribe. And you have to do a thing that's themed, a test of cruelty, a test of endurance, test of isolation, test of preservation. They are fairly open and I kind of like that, but they're a little, they may, re depending on your style, you may want to change them. Like the test of cruelty is we're running out of food, so it's time to eat the old people. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to kind of either murder the old guys, which is what the chieftain asks you to do, or just allow it. And so long as you don't stop it, you win. And uh, you know, that may not, it's not my type of game. Maybe it's right. your type of game that's totally cool. I'm not judging, but, um, but you may want to change that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and um, all the tests, I agree. All the tests seem to be this, we're here. We finally made it to this place. Now we're going to be transported elsewhere. It just seems a little much And even doing it once might be okay, but doing it four times seems yeah. a little bit over the top to me yeah i don't think it quite hits the the desired yeah. tone I, I see what it's trying to do mm -hmm. um but i think it can be fun one of the things that i would look at doing is this one of the things that i find strange is this is it feels like it's real like if a chieftain has died the chieftain won't be there so it's, it's like it's real like you're really going there and it sort of suggests that right but i wonder if it isn't better to make it not real and this could be an opportunity when each of these tests choose a character choose something they've done and play off of that either by yeah. rebuilding this scene or yeah. injecting that into it so if a character has a secret you can make that really mm -hmm. a strong part of this if they've had a particular accomplishment have that show up in some way but just something to personalize it and make it um, more interesting to the characters mm -hmm. and yeah. then just tone it down as needed. Yeah. I, I think that's a great idea because you can really reinforce story narrative by doing something like Teos just described by going back to a scene that's already played and, mm -hmm. and 
touch on cruelty, endurance, isolation, and preservation. And not only is it cool in terms of it's a test, and if you pass the test, you can walk into this final chamber and find the codicil, uh, it reinforces the story. And, and I think yeah. that's that's great. There is a safe gap here. So the way you have to do it is one character must really succeed at, at, at one test. And as long as you have four different test successes and everybody's gathered, you can open the door. Or if one person has done all four, they can open the door. If you fail, uh, some druids will come along and open the door for you. They've already done the test before. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's fine. And then you get the codicil. The codicil has um, poems in it that are um, that are that are interesting and, and kind of tell you a little bit about what uh, is going on. Um, I don't know. What did you think about it? Yeah, it's after the test, I was trying to get through the test and, and I just sort of I, I lost I lost the narrative. I lost steam. Um, yeah. I began to notice small things like the box text for one of the areas mentions three tablets that you have to break and to get in. But there are and, four. But there are actually four. And that caused me you know, a bit of confusion. Uh so, you know, they, they get through, they find the codicil, everything's great. Um, and then they get the opportunity once they find the codicil to gain Aurel's blessing, which which was strange to me in the sense that they may have already killed her or she may know that they're breaking in and maybe they killed her rock already. But because they did this, um, a character that passed all four tests or has one of the secrets can be given this this blessing. And if they fail, they're turned into a nice statue. But if they succeed, they can cast Cone of Cold once per day. That's pretty beefy (laughs) uh, at seventh level. And I Uh, agree with you. It seems really weird, like. Oral should be smart enough to know that you didn't deserve her blessing. I, I, you know, it feels too close to her. Like I, I totally buy this happening in like a temple of Oriel off somewhere else. Right. But when literally she's here, I'm sorry. She's, and it does say she can remove the, this blessing at right. any moment when she sees you, but I, it still felt a little, yeah. it's not bad. It's just a little rough around the edges. Right. And, um, and if, if someone accepts this, knowing everything they know just make it so they can't attack or real they are mm. they're com- but or have to Until help they her. renounce it yeah. right or or you know try to help her if, yeah. if she's attacked because if you're accept her blessing you are now a follower of our real congratulations i mean it's it's kind of weird one thing so, i found oh, yeah. also interesting is you get this codicil and it has in it the rhyme of the frost maiden which appears in appendix c and it's a very cool poem um, so it's neat, and there's a handout, so you can give that to your players. Um, but this is, in theory, you know, when when Valine sees this, or if the press, Professor Orb, you know, this is what they need to get to the city. And when you read it, you go, I, I don't know that it's telling me how. I thought I was getting, like, a spell to get there. Or, okay, yeah. somehow this is going to help me get into Yithrin, but I don't know how. Right. Yeah, it's, so it can feel a little disappointing if the characters are on their own, I think. But I guess the professor would just have to say, no, no, this will work. Right. Yeah, it's the the connection between the different parts takes a lot of DM massaging to make sense. Uh, 
not just makes sense for the story that you're telling with your players, but makes sense of the actual text in the uh, in the book itself. So if they if they defeat Oral, if Oriel dies after they kill all three of her forms, um, Grimskull collapses. At least the top two levels collapse onto the third level. So the characters have one minute to escape. If they're in the dungeon, though, I guess they're okay. They're safe down it's there. It's movie time, right? So it works yeah. regardless. Exactly, and uh, and it's weird because if the if the everlasting rhyme ends, okay, it ends the next day. The sun comes up. It really doesn't say here how it affects the ten towns. Um, yeah, you would think that the the characters would, or at least the text would say what happens is it, does something happen because of renewed hope do they have a celebration do they i i don't know it seems like something there should be a well, story we do consequence. Get, okay and i agree with you that here there is nothing and, and there should be there is a epilogue chapter at the end of the book okay and it has a summer is coming section I'm not saying this will make you happy uh, okay. in terms of like everything, but, but it, it does at least, you know, say that um, normal seasonal weather returns, the sun rises above the horizon, flora and fauna begin to recover. Uh, defend, depending on how they fared against the Shardalan dragon in chapter four, the people of 10 towns can look forward to warmer times once more. So it's sort of life resets, Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have... It doesn't well, build on, you know, like what the character, how it impacts the characters. Right. Because it's not the end of the adventure yet. <laughs> no. Right. That's the problem. You, you can solve the problem long, long, long before you complete the adventure. So it's just kind of strange. Yeah. And, and, and you have to wonder how many characters and players even would not mentally say, I think I'm done now. Yeah. Like, I don't. You know, I'm going to hold this codicil and make sure the Arcane Brotherhood never gets it. Why do I want this lost city? Yeah. I have no ties to this lost city. Right. I think I have ended the adventure. Yeah. Like, we just, like, let's go back to 10 towns and let's, you know, run for speaker or, yeah. you know, further help with the rebuilding or surely that's where the story lies. But, and that's a, that's a hole in the plot, right? In the story that yeah. the motivation to go to Yithrin. I mean, some characters might have it because they love investigating things yeah. or something, or you just want a place to adventure, but. Right. Hmm. I mean, yeah, it, it's okay because there are many adventures that are, we're going because it's there. That's a completely fine um, way to run an adventure and a fine motivation for certain characters and certain players. But if it's part of an ongoing story, you want that story to be continued, not just, okay, this is done now. This right. is sort of the next thing because there's no compelling reason to make that the next thing. So, and maybe there is, and maybe I'm just missing it. So there, there's that as well. Now, what do you think, Sean, timing-wise? Do we want to talk about defeating Oral? Do we want to do that next episode? Uh, why don't we talk about actual the actual fight with Oral herself um, next time, and then we'll get yep. on with Chapter 6. Yep, absolutely. Great. Um, so how'd you feel just really quickly kind of how do you how do you feel about this chapter how's it how's it resonate with you i i it's sort of like this whole adventure this is a microcosm of the whole adventure there are many many cool parts there are many ways that i really like certain aspects of it 
as a whole, it's going to take a lot of work to pull together to make it a cool campaign for the players. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a lot to get a coherent story, a coherent narrative out of it um, yeah. because it's put together sort of awkwardly. And I, yeah. I feel like the chapter itself is, is a microcosm of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yep. you, yeah, I agree with that. And, and, and it's, it's a bit of a shame because I love so much of it and certainly all of the visuals. If this is like a beautiful movie I want to see made, mm-hmm. you know, like this star, um, this, this, um, snowflake shaped Island, this tower with the skull on it, the ancient frost giant area, uh, all the places on the island, like everything's really cool. It just doesn't, the story, it gets lost mm-hmm. across the steps. Yeah. And I wish there'd been a little more work done to develop that story through to where it would give the actions of the PCs import yeah. and, and make them feel like they're truly on a heroic story. Instead, it feels like a series of episodes or a series of movies that are tangentially related and, and, mm-hmm. and yet there could have been these links. There are all these pieces right. that could have linked oral throughout everything, but oral just gets kind of thrown into us really kind of unexpectedly in this chapter. Like we don't think right. we're going to go fight oral. And we may not know we're going to fight oral even until we're on this island. And then we do. And then we're like, wait, are we done? Yeah. But we're not done because there's other piece. And that that did not have to be right. And so it's yeah. a shame because yeah. I'm still mulling over how because I'm I'm fairly I'm fairly sure I will run this because I do like a lot of it. Yeah. But I will I will have to dissect. I have to work through how I, what I will do with that story here because yeah. I want something bigger and, and more connected. Yeah, what's interesting for me now is I am actually going to be playing in a campaign using this adventure. And so I'm I'm honestly really looking forward to seeing what the DM does. Yeah, yeah. Right? Works, How the DM pulls this together because I'll, this is not a great adventure for new and experienced or DMs that don't have a lot of time to to do things. But for a DM that likes to make a story work for their players i this is a good exercise for those dms to to be able to manage all these pieces and pull them together if they can do it so i'm looking forward to seeing how our dm does it that's cool that's neat but we will talk more or real next time and until then thank you so much for listening to mastering dungeons letting teos and i come into your lives a little bit once a week um thank you especially to our listeners and our patrons so if you would like uh to be a patron of the show you can support us by going to patreon.com slash mmp where you are supporting not just us but two other shows on the misdirected mark podcasting network and can I say, Sean, that just today I saw that Richard Green joined us as a patron supporter. Thank you, Richard Green. I, I saw that. He he did it, and I didn't get a chance to put it in the notes, but thank you so much. And I believe Mike Olson uh, also became a patron, so thank you, Mike, wow. as thank well. Uh, and Teos, if people want to talk to you, where can they find you? I can be found on Twitter at AlphaStream. I can be find on our, found on our forums, and I blog at alphastream.org. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on those aforementioned forums. 
at forums.misdirectedmark.com. And now you can follow the podcast on Twitter at MasteringDND. Mastering Dungeons is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, Teos, what should we do now? We're going to go die to oral probably around form two is what I'm thinking, but we'll, we'll figure that out next week. That doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> I mean, it might be for the DM. True. Maybe. <laughs>